Blog Talk Radio. kids 
on the team. You know, you and I have talked about that. Great players, great kids. But you also have to look at the schedule. And I know a lot of folks, you know, mostly older, kind of miss the the home games, the big games in Rupp like we used to have, although this year we'll have some uh, marquee games in Rupp Arena. But these kind of events like the Champions Classic, you, you get that early season test. Okay, you, you've got, you know, you're rotating through Kansas and Duke and Michigan State. You get to see kind of where you are, you know, game two, game three of the season, which I think is fantastic. Not only that, because it is a marquee game, you know, it's ESPN's kicking off their coverage. You know, it's the 24 hours of basketball before these games. Uh, I'm watching this last night, and I'm thinking, when Cal says Kentucky's not for everybody, this is what he's talking about. Madison Square Garden, you know, and as they rotate it through the United Center in, in, in Chicago and other places, but the champion. This this is a spotlight that's, that's very very bright, and 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 this kind of gets those guys in this mindset that okay, you're coming to Kentucky. The spotlight is going to be bright. How are you going to perform with the eyes of the college basketball world looking on you? And as you wrote on CameronMillsRadio.com, Malik Monk didn't disappoint, and we have seen that. Uh, you know, I remember John Wall and his breakout game playing in uh, uh, New York against Kansas, uh, not Kansas, I'm sorry, Connecticut some years ago. Uh, we saw the 2012 championship game preview as Kentucky took care of Kansas. Even in a loss, we saw Julius Randle uh, against Michigan State put up uh, a monster double-double. So it's a great uh, early season test that all teams benefit from, and I think especially uh, Kentucky. So Malik Monk gets to join those those freshmen that have made a mark uh, in this event. So just a fantastic game. And I know we're going to talk a lot about Malik Monk, Isaiah Briscoe, who uh, I think is one of the best finishers on the team for a guard, you know, around the basket. I really liked De'Aaron Fox last night as well. Uh, I tweeted last night uh, that when he kind of gets it, and we all wait for those Cal point guards to get it, and it usually happens, he could mess around and get a triple-double. I mean, last night, 12 points, six assists, four rebounds, kind of making his mark on the game, even though he was only three of ten shooting. What you have to be encouraged by is – Fox and Briscoe, a combined 11 for 11 from the free throw line. That's huge. When you think about how those guys are able to penetrate and draw fouls, particularly on the other team's big men, that's going to be huge uh, when you look at uh, the way they're able to do that. And and Briscoe going five for five when he was a 43% free throw shooter, I believe, last year, that's a huge step forward. And and free throw – Improvement. That's one of those things where you can say, okay, I know this guy has been working on his craft this season, you know, this off season. So that's a, there's a lot to point to, to be encouraged. Uh, anytime you can beat a Tom Izzo team, you know, by 21 points, you take it and you run, right? I mean, anytime you can, you can get that, you take it and run. Uh, as young teams tend to do, they got up big, you know, in the first, 
uh, half, kind of took their foot off a little bit. Michigan State made it close and, and kind of touched there at the half, closed it to eight, and then they were able to extend that lead. What we have seen so far, and I know I'm kind of dominating here, and I know you got some points too, Vinny, but last thing is when the team is kind of stalled out, if you will, Briscoe makes his move. You know, we saw that uh, in previous games. And uh, was it Stephen F. Austin? He had the 17 points in the first half. It's all running together. Or was it Kanish? I can't remember. Second was it Kanishas? The second, the first game, you know, I said he was like Kobe, where he didn't shoot, but he didn't really need to. The second game, he came out. Yeah, Kanishas right. on a nine to two. Kanishas got a nine to two lead, and, and, and he kind of stabilized everything, and and you know, right. kind of forced right. action and right. took over, and kind of put his and his his uh fingerprints on on the Kanishas game. And and that's what you want because when you look at the best teams that Cal has had there have been always they're always the freshmen okay the class is number one or number two ranked every year that's a given but there's always that veteran if you will that when the freshmen are trying to figure it out there's that veteran that kind of steps in and and Briscoe is has shown you know through these three games that he can be that guy and, and I said that going into the season he may not be the best player on the court, but he's going to be the most important stabilizing force for the team. And I was glad to see him able to do that in back-to-back games. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the thing about it, like you said, um, Monk was kind of the, the star of the show. Uh, he, he got going early and kept it going. Um he was kind of he he kind of snuck up on us like I wrote in the piece. It was quiet, you know. He hit those two back to back and like okay, okay, and then before you knew it, he was he was on a roll. Uh, and he's so athletic, you know. We've seen and we'll probably see it all year long. The clip that they will show from the high school all star game of him winning the three point contest, coming second in the dunk contest, and he that's. That just shows how versatile he really is. You know, most of your wing guys, you you know, will kind of lean one way or the other. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, Michael Jordan and Kobe weren't filling it up from three. They could hit those shots, but you you think scorer more, you think slasher more, think mid-range. First in the three-point contest, second in the dunk contest means he does both almost equally well. Last night, he just happened to get the shot going. We saw in the, I think it was the blue-white game, you know, where he took off and about tore the rim down. There's going to be games where, you know, he gets off and puts on a show uh, dunking or getting close to the rim or flashing. And like everybody's saying, how are you going to guard him? He is streaky. He's not maybe pure shooter, but mm-hmm. he's capable of knocking down a lot of shots. So you, you you play him the drive, and then if he, he's hitting the shot, and Lord knows if you try to crowd him and, and, and take the shot away, you know, you, you know what's going to happen with the first step. So he's so versatile in addition to being that athletic, and that's not really something you see with every day, even good wing players. 
I couldn't agree with you more. The one play of Monks last night, I know the seven threes kind of grabbed the headlines, but there was the the uh, the play. He caught it at the three point line. At that point, Michigan State, you know, they 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 were maintaining contact. Uh, guy running at him, he puts the ball on the floor, and he comes baseline. Nine times out of ten, the offensive player. Once he gets that baseline, he's going to take it straight to the rim. Monk, as the defender is sliding over to take that move away, pulls up, and he floats in a very, very difficult baseline shot where he kind of falls with one foot you know, on the baseline, kind of behind the backboard, very Kobe-like, if you will. And I'm saying, and I think you tweeted about that baseline shot. A lot of people did. If he is able to exploit that mid-range game, wow. I mean, how do you zone this team even? It really, really opens up a lot. I think with Monk getting streaky like that, and and we can now say De'Aaron Fox, you know, I hate those comparisons when you say this person's like this guy, but he has John Wall speed. And once he figures out how to, kind of change speed and everything like that. He, he got himself into a little bit of trouble, uh, you know, charging in. But he's going to put a lot of pressure on the other team's transition defense. And he's either going to get fouled, he's going to create something just, just by being fast. And I don't think it has anything to do with Michigan State players not being good. They are very good, number 13 in the country. But He's going to cause a lot of trouble for a lot of teams. And when you look at you've either got Briscoe, who physically you're not going to be able to knock him off the line like most guards. Fox is fast, and like we've been singing Monk's praises, I can see why Cal, more so than in years past, team is getting up the court quickly, off made and missed baskets, to put that pressure on the other team playing defense, which I absolutely love. So what I love about last night, the guards really showed they're ready between Monk, Fox, and Briscoe. The the question mark is going to be a little bit about the inside. Now, I think Bam, uh, he got the Shaq treatment last night. He's simply bigger than everybody. So physics dictates if, if a big guy hits a little guy, the little guy is going to move backwards. That's just, that's your uh, a little bit of physics for the kids out there listening. Force equals mass times acceleration. So that's your science lesson. So Bam got caught a little bit of that. So he's got to learn how to get his position without fouling. And that's something, obviously, I think Kenny Payne uh, can work on with him. But even though he played kind of limited minutes, uh, six points, five rebounds. My big concern is the five turnovers, but that's going to happen uh, as he kind of adapts to the game. Uh, he did have that alley-oop dunk, and again, it just looks so effortless. And you know he's making a ridiculously athletic play, but it's just, I mean, it, it's just like you jumping over, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Whatever you know, I'm, I'm running out of references, but just it's just so effortless how he just jumps and, and finishes play. So, uh, 
couple of question marks. Uh, Derek Willis had a few yeah. plays. He, he uh, I do notice this year so far the defense, and we need to cover the defense because it was spectacular last night, I think. But uh, Derek Willis got switched out onto the Michigan State point guard, and conventional wisdom said the little guy's going to get by him, and he couldn't. Not that Derek Willis is the most fleet of foot, but position-wise, he moves his feet really, really well, and he he kept the point guard in front of him. And I, I really like that with the length that Kentucky has on defense, the, the switching. Some years, not really a big fan of it, but this year it may actually work because you've got a lot of interchangeable parts. And even when you switch – uh, a Kentucky guard gets on a big man, or well, you know the Kentucky guard six three six four. You know it's not like your average kind of smaller guard. And uh, what I did like there was a lot of help coming from the weak side, dropping down to double team the post. And when you've got the length Kentucky has, you know they teach you basketball one on one. You know double the post, reverse that ball out. Well, it's not easy to do. When there's a bunch of six, 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 seven guys with their arms extended, uh, I really, really liked the way they played defense last night. They kept Michigan State going side to side with very little off the penetration. I love that to death. Uh, I'm getting my uh, dry erase board now as I talk. Really, really force uh, Michigan State to not just reverse the ball, but reverse the ball back in, toward the. Uh, uh, top of the key, it was fantastic, and I'm thinking to myself, the way they're communicating and moving on defense, this is game three. It's going to get better. You know, uh, one thing I think we talked about this summer was uh, there's not a really there's not a shot blocker back there. There's no Anthony Davis. There's no uh, Nerlens Noel. There's no Carl Anthony Towns. Willie Cauley Stein. But I think they may not get the block numbers, but I think the steals for this team is going to be uh, is going to be up. Uh, high. So a lot of things to really feel encouraged about. Uh, a couple of more low-profile games before we really get into the meat of the season. Uh, but you have to feel good watching the Cats perform under the bright lights last night. Yeah, you sure do. Um, I'm kind of with you on the question mark. Uh, about Willis, uh, only one shot in the 15 minutes. So, uh, if you're trying to get in the flow or, or, or just fell out of place and not in rhythm or what, but see how that does going forward uh, on the offensive side for him. Uh, defensively, like you said, with the blocks, and Willis had two of the blocks, they gave him credit for eight as a team, which you keep hearing, you know, Cal talk about block shots, block shots, block shots, and maybe they don't have the Anthony Davis, Nellis Noel, Willie Collie Stein, you know, elite shot blocker, but collectively they may still be able to get it done. They had eight blocks last night, and two by Willis, two by Bam, um, Humphreys with one, Motor with one. So uh, 
you know, trust Celia Jones and, and Gabriel also long and capable. So collectively they they may, you know, maybe you look at the end of the game and they got more blocks than you think, even though it's not yeah. just one guy kind of dominating the block shot category. And like I, I put in my piece on, on CameronMillsRadio.com, with the steals they're getting, turning people over, you know, that's the shots that aren't taken. You know, eight steals last night, that's, I mean, that is great no matter who you're playing or how you slice it. You get eight steals, almost ten steals, you know, double-digit turnovers, double-digit steals what they were almost doing last night. And yeah. when you look at the steals, they were coming from the bigs. Uh, Isaac had two, Winion had three, uh, Hawkins got one, Fox and Bristol had one. So those those guards, I think the steal numbers for Fox and and Monk are going to go up, uh, as well as maybe the collective block shots will go up. So like you just said, when they communicate and get in sync defensively even more, everything is going to you know, be on the upswing, and you already mentioned how they forced Michigan State to to reverse, you know, reverse the ball. And like you said, when Kentucky was in scramble mode, you know, where the ball was moving faster than the cat, the commentators mentioned it, and you saw how they were able to cover that ground and to where it looked like there were some gaps, looked like the you know, the Michigan State player might catch it and have. Uh, some space to make a move or an angle to get an easy shot, and it was closed off quickly. And that will get even better as they, you know, yeah. continue to do. And and you look, uh, 23 made field goals and 17 assists. That's good team basketball for game three of the season. That is huge. That's ball movement. That's finding the open guy, right place, right time. Love that. Team is very unselfish. Love that right now. But let's talk real quick about Winion Gabriel. You know, there's always, I think, when Cal brings in a class of four or five guys, there's always the one guy you kind of forget about, you know, that may be McDonald's All-American, may have all these accolades, but he kind of gets lost in the shuffle because, you know, Fox is lightning quick and we see what an athlete uh uh, Malik Monk is, and and Bam is is is, is just Bam. You you can't ignore Bam, obviously. So you kind of forget a little bit about Winning Gabriel. You know, I said this last night, and you and I kind of went back and forth. He reminds me of Dennis Rodman era uh, on the Bad Boys of the Detroit Pistons. Not necessarily the biggest guy in the post, and, and Winning Gabriel is he's he's still kind of slight, but he's very very active. When you look at his line, six rebounds, three steals, two assists, four points, that's that's a that's a that's a stat stuffer right there. He's doing a little bit of everything. And a lot of the plays he makes are getting the cats extra possessions. There was one he got a steal, you know, Michigan State got a rebound, was getting ready to advance it, and he, he came up with the ball. Those are huge. All these stat gurus will tell you, just like you were talking about with the steals, getting extra possessions is what it's all about, or keeping possession longer 
with an offensive rebound, and he had three of those last night. That's huge. So as the other guys kind of get their rebounding responsibilities, I, I think that's kind of something that, that Cal wants to talk about as well. You know, we were out rebounded last night, but William Gabriel, I, I think he has become that. He's going to be that glue guy. Um, kind of reminiscent, and again, I hate the comparisons, but he reminds me of of of, of Chuck Hayes, who. Chuck Hayes, his four years, I don't remember him do, doing anything really spectacular. There's no highlight dunks. There's no crazy passes. But very, very solid. You knew what you were going to get out of him, and I think William Gabriel is going to fit that mold for these cats. He's versatile defensively. He keeps things alive offensively. Um, he's not a, a black hole. Uh, when he gets the ball, you see sometimes, you know, the big men, they pop toward the top of the key, they get the ball, and it's like a deer in headlights, or it's hot potato and they want to get it out of their hands very fast. He's, he's, a, he's a facilitator, uh, especially using him a lot in that high post. And we saw that a little bit last night, particularly with Fox in the game, putting Bam and another big kind of in the two high post there. We saw a lot of that with some pick action off that, uh, I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on defenses as the, as the uh, Cats move through the season. So a lot to take away from. Definitely uh, some work on things. Rebounding has got to be shorn up. Uh, you know, some shot collection has got to be shorn up. But those are things that come as teams go. I was talking to a guy at work today. You know, my thing is this is Cal's eighth season. At some point, we should know how this goes. Early on, you know, for the most part, some of these games we're just going to win on sheer talent because they haven't figured out how to play uh, well together. Uh, but they're going to get better. I mean, if you take out 2013, what team hasn't gotten better from this point of the season to the end? You know, somebody on Twitter brought up last night, if you look at the – Kansas game in 2012 with the Champions Classic that if you watch it, we won that game because we had the talent. But you look a few months later in the championship game, and we won that game because Anthony Davis and company knew what they were doing, and they were more talented. So, uh, again, I'm buckled up ready to get on this uh, ride and see what this season uh, has in store. They may drop a couple of games here and there, but there's a whole lot to be inspired by, particularly on the defensive end, which I think as as far as this early in the season, I I don't remember a team being this defensively sound, you know, without that that big guy on the um, back line to kind of erase your mistakes like an Anthony Davis. These guys – there was a lot of good communication, which really switching everything really kind of forces you to have to communicate. But I really, really liked it. They played the passing lanes very, very well. Uh, no Michigan State player scored in double digits, which is pretty good. You know, the, they, they held Michigan State to, to 32% shooting and 19% from three. Uh, also held them to 33% from the free throw line. But 
<laughs> but just uh, just a, a very good game. Uh, I'm I'm excited about it. If if you can not really play a, a perfect game and still beat a Tom Izzo team by 21, take it, run, get ready for the next game. That's absolutely right. Um, and my dad's been saying it. I mean, for three weeks now, you know, but he 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 said it once. He said it multiple times already. He he thinks that they were looking better than the 2012 team did at this stage already. He said, I, you know, I don't mean they win it all, but just from what I see, it, you know, position by position, he thinks they look better and, and likes the makeup of the team just as good or, or better than the 2012 team, which is high praise. You got veterans on this team as well. Um, and maybe if you do go position by position, Maybe this team has more talent. Yeah, I mean, definitely at the point guard position. Uh, you know, Fox over T, you know, if you want to go that route. So it's early, but the the ceiling is still high, and they're off to a good start already. Yeah, and and I'm looking forward to, to senior night, thinking about the ovation that Dominic Hawkins is going to get. I mean, for four years, we have just seen Cal put him and ask him to do whatever, and he's done it very, very well. It's one of those situations. He could have gone other places and probably been able to uh, get more playing time, get bigger numbers, but he's a Kentucky kid, which I know we all love here in the Big Blue Nation. But he is just I, I would just call him the Swiss Army guy. Whatever Cal needs, he goes out and does. He's a junkyard dog. And he's one of those other steadying influences. When when uh, Michigan State made a run to kind of close it, I think, to within seven or, or five at one point, he comes in. He just makes good plays. You know, he he stole a, a, a rebound or something, you know, saved a possession and, and hit a shot. That's what That's what you need from those guys. And this is what, you know, the segue, you know, people, you know, want to focus in on Kentucky's freshmen. We have had a lot of good juniors and seniors on these great Cal teams. I mean, let's, I mean, seriously, look at, look at from Patrick Patterson to Josh Harrelson to, you know, we all love Darius Miller, you know, in his role on 2011 and 2012. Willie Cauley Stein uh, as a junior, you know, being the the guy, you know, on the 2015 team, we we've had these guys. They may not be the stars, but those are the kinds of guys you need if you're going to have a successful team. And we've had a lot of those. Uh, so I, I, you know, it just rubs me wrong when everybody just focuses on the Kentucky freshmen when we had upperclassmen come in and play well. I mean, Jared Polson, who I thought probably shouldn't be on the court. He he did a, a very serviceable, serviceable job. I mean, honestly, yeah. I, you yeah. know, he he did, and yeah. you need those kinds of guys because there's going to be times, and we saw it in 2012. As great as those guys were, Darius Miller had to step in and and, and kind of calm the waters. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 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 what you want them to do to 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 make that play on offense and defense. And I think with Briscoe and with Dominic Hawkins, and honestly, you know, kind of looking at his stat line, you didn't see it from Derek Willis in his stats last night. But I saw a lot of people, you know, what's Derek Willis doing? I thought he played a pretty good game last night. The stats weren't there, but I thought he played pretty well. Like we talked about his defense and 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 things. So there's some things that you might ask your your kind of seniors to do that don't show up in the stat sheet. Uh, I've got no problem with that. Uh, that's why you can't always look at the stats uh, to get a, get somebody's impact on the game. I thought he played a pretty serviceable game last night. Not the best, and not what we're looking for, obviously, but I thought he played a pretty good game. He's got, uh, you know, he's got some room to grow. So I'm, I'm definitely excited about these, these next couple of games. Absolutely. Um, and my sister tweeted in that she agreed with my dad on this team looking as good or better than the 2012 group. So uh, with that, we'll take us a quick break. Got more UK basketball to talk about. Haven't even dove into UK football yet. Uh, senior day, we talked about senior day in basketball, but it'll be senior day for the football Cats. You know, hard to believe, but final home game in Commonwealth for the year is already upon us. We'll talk about plenty of that. A little ifs on ifs crime. We'll talk about that as well. We'll take us a quick break. Listen to Cats Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy, Terry Brown. Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blockoutradio.com. We'll be right back in just a couple minutes. We just be living loving. We just enjoy each other. We spread that feeling nothing. Hope you enjoy like loving. We keep it down.
Welcome back to Cash Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown. Give us a call if you like, 845-277-9373. At Cash Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. Also, got to let y'all know that at 7.30, we will be joined by a guest who is a friend of the show. Been on with us a couple times prior to this evening. Ernest Shepard. <coughs> Excuse me, Ernest Shepard. Or writes for OutsideAnalysis.com. He is from Chicago. We always have him on, talk a lot of sports, talk about what's going on in the Windy City. So we'll talk some Chicago sports with him, Cubs, Bulls, Bears, Blackhawks, Rams, well, just some plain old NBA, NFL, and whatever else we bounce around to while Ernest is on. Uh, he's looking forward to coming on. We're looking forward to having him on, and it's going to be a fun couple segments in just under an hour. So uh, looking forward to Ernest coming in. If you got some Chi-Town tweets, tweet them in. got some questions, tweet them in between now and then. And we're going to hit some of those as well uh, at Cat Talk Wednesday on Twitter. Senior um, day for football TV. Um, you will be at Senior Day 2016 just like you were. Senior Day 2015 against the Charlotte 49ers, who are much different than the San Francisco 49ers. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> you, get to, <laughs> you get to take in the final home game of 2016. That was just a senseless shot at your professional football team. I apologize. Uh, the Austin Peay Governors will be coming in, the women's Austin Peay Governors. The final game before Kentucky comes up to your hometown to play the Louisville Cardinals. <clears throat> a game where Kentucky should just take care of business. And the thing about it, last year Kentucky had four wins before playing Charlotte. This year they have five before they play Austin P, uh, which is a good thing when it's an overmatched opponent that you should go out and beat. I didn't look and see what the spread was for entertainment purposes only, but how many points should Kentucky hang on Austin P? They scored 58 last year on Charlotte when you were there uh, covering the game last year. How how ugly should this get? I, I think we, sh- we should be able to get into the high 40s, close to the, the, the 50s, especially if we're running the ball like we're able to because – uh, Austin P is, is not a very good team. This is going to be a great senior day. These guys uh, that have gave blood, sweat, and tears to the Big Blue Nation for four years, you know, some guys, you know, longer with red shirts and that kind of thing. But this is what we wanted. All right. Now, and I talked about this last week, and, and I think it bears repeating that. And it's hard not to. I get that. But it, it's almost as if every play, every missed tackle, every turnover is an indictment on the coaching staff. And that's beyond instant gratification because, you know, if you watch Alabama as great as they are, there are misplays, misassignments, questionable calls. It's going to happen. At the beginning of the season, most people said, conventional wisdom said, Kentucky's got to get to a bowl game. Would you agree with that? 
in year four after getting five the previous two years. Yeah, especially getting five wins in year two when, you know, that was ahead of schedule. After a two and ten right. rookie season to jump up to five and then to hold tight at five when it's you know, you're just so close, yeah, you would you would think, Hey, this year you you gotta do it since you've been close with no cigar the past few years. So so here we are. Right on the cusp of, of being bowl eligible and going to a bowl. This 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 was the expectation, and we have reached it. Now things got skewed a little bit during this run, and I myself was a victim of it. I thought, and I still think, the Georgia game it was a winnable game. Uh, we'll cover Tennessee in a little bit more detail. So we go into the season saying bowl game or bust, and then we drop the first two in ugly fashion, and. Like we said, everybody is going. Everybody knew the buyout of Stoops and his staff. We righted the ship, and now we've dropped two games. The Georgia game, definitely a heartbreaker. Tennessee, a, a head scratcher. And again, I think we'll get into that game in a little bit more detail. But after all that, bowl game, where you can get the extra practice and and, and these seniors that have really kind of laid this foundation are going to go to a bowl game and really boom you're 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 looking at 2017 and you're looking a whole lot better uh when you look florida will come to commonwealth stadium tennessee will come to commonwealth stadium louisville will come to commonwealth stadium and you think we get to this bowl game that's a good springboard it's a good 2017 so we're still going to have a good season. It it could have been better. We were right there, you know, number two in the SEC East. And if this and this and this and this would have happened, could have made some noise. But we're getting to that bowl game, which in the off season is, is what we were talking about. Got to get to a bowl game. Got to get to a bowl game. Well, we're right here. Celebrate this. Don't jump off the bandwagon because of the Georgia game or the, the Tennessee game. The, the program is making progress. What upsets me to no end, and, and sometimes I've been guilty of it, is something strange happened, and you say, oh, that's so Kentucky. That's so Kentucky football. No, I mean, sometimes things just happen. I mean, sometimes you just lose a football game. doesn't matter who you are. That just happens. Uh, but you have to be objective and say, is this team right now Better than last year's team, better than the year before that, better than the year before that. And you can quantify, you can objectively say it is a better football team. The program is better. It it just is than the previous year. It it, it really is. And, and I don't understand the folks that kind of bend over backwards and don't want to see the program is making progress. That's the frustrating thing for me, and I can't, I can't imagine how that is for the coaching staff. They're making progress. They really are. Watch them on the field. And this is something else people don't talk about, and I don't understand it. If, if Louisville, and, and I preface this by saying I don't wish injury on anybody, but if Louisville loses Lamar Jackson, 
the first thing people talk about would be Louisville having to play without their starting quarterback. But when you look at Kentucky, nobody makes any mention of that. Remember Drew Barker was going to be the guy and looked really good, you know, in the first half against uh, Southern Miss. I mean, he was, he was QB1. It gets injured. We end up having to go. We're doing this with our backup quarterback. Yeah. I think that fact gets overlooked. Much like in 2013, you know, everybody NIT with Cal, well, our best player got hurt. That, that, why are we not talking about this more? Yeah. And Steven Johnson has made improvements. But the coaching staff looked at, at Barker and Johnson, and, and everybody said, okay, Barker's going to be the guy. And then we've had to kind of work and, and, and narrow that playbook a little bit to bring Johnson up to speed. But we lost our starting quarterback. So I think that needs to be talked about. You know, everybody, well, the coaching staff, X, Y, and Z, they, I, they, they built their playbook and, and this kind of thing based on what Drew Barker could do and had to really reinvent things on the fly. And, and by doing that, which I think is pretty impressive after an 0-2 start, booms at 1,000 yards, Benny's right there, that's a pretty good running back combo. Mm-hmm. If you can get two guys 1,000 yards, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> and, 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 again, look where we were in week three with this team. Everybody had written off. You remember watching the Florida game and the, 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 the color commentators and the studio folks laughing at Kentucky football. Laughing. Beyond just the normal, they're terrible, laughing. Yeah. And now the program is respectable. We've had folks that cover different teams the last couple of weeks. And each one has said, not tongue-in-cheek, not being sarcastic, we think the Cats can win. Yeah. How many times in the last 30 years have Tennessee fans been legitimately concerned about Kentucky coming into uh, to Neyland Stadium? Not many. I know Tennessee yeah. won, but still, the concern was there. And that's a step in the right direction for the program. So I feel good about what Stoops and company have done. I'm looking forward to senior day so Big Blue Nation can thank those seniors for revitalizing the program. And, and really, you know, we, we talk about those folks, the, those guys that, that integrated SEC football, and, you know, we've talked to uh, football players of our age, of older. You know, it's kind of on their backs that the program is built. And as we hopefully in 2017, 2018, get those eight wins, those nine wins maybe, it's going to be on the hard work this foundation that these guys, these seniors this year, have, have laid for us. So I'm looking forward to celebrating that, getting the six wins, securing bowl eligibility, uh, and, and just having a great time in Commonwealth this weekend. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, bottom line, you, the team has improved, and that's all you can ask for because there was <laughs> – a time where it didn't look like that was going to be the case. After five and seven in year two, 
you know, that was looked at as a reason for optimism. Then you do it again. I mean, it was disappointing that you didn't get to a bowl in year two, but you weren't expected to. So you were you were overachieving in year two. Year three, to kind of duplicate the five and seven again, that was kind of raising our brows as to are we improving, are we spinning our wheels, even though the cupboard is still being restocked and you're still inferior to a lot of the other good teams when you look at talent and depth to not get the six was looked at as a disappointment when it happened the second time around. So the improvement might, it, it wasn't a jump from five wins to eight wins this year like it was two wins to five wins from year one to year two, but six wins when you handle business like it looks like should take place Saturday. Six wins will be more than five. So that <laughs> is improvement. You can't boil it down and say that it's not. Uh, you, you know, in a position to make more noise in the East. And like you said, the Georgia game was winnable. The Georgia game was right there. Georgia was still a better team with better players, but you went toe-to-toe with them, had a chance to knock them out in that third quarter, didn't take advantage. Georgia wins the game. We see the following week they go and beat Auburn, who was in a position with a win over Georgia to be playing Alabama for the West Division. Georgia rises up and, and knocks them off after, you know, struggling all year. So we've seen them kind of get their act together and, and now they're both eligible when nobody thought they were going to be a couple weeks ago. Six wins is more than five wins. So Kentucky will get to go to a bowl. And like you said, then keep trying to just steady grind and steady improve. And that's all you can ask. Uh, you, you've found a running back in Benny Snell who has done what he's done without playing in the first two games. Freshman record for touchdowns. You know, knocking Randall Cobb out of the record book. So, you know, they – he, he was there over the summer, but, you know, he still didn't really maybe think he could do what he was doing in two-a-days and all that and carry it over to the games. But he's done that. They realized that. <laughs> they changed their offense around and adjusted to what they have. You've been talking for two years about an identity. Now they have one. That's improvement. <laughs> and so, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, even if it's incremental, even if it's not drastic and obvious for everybody to see, eventually it, it's going to be evident for everybody to see. And, and my thing is this. People, for whatever reason, will put qualifiers on on things. And, and this is your classic half full, half empty. And, and Well, the SEC is down. Okay, it's been down before. This isn't the first season in the last 40 that it has been down. But this season, the Cats finished 4-4 four and four in the SEC. When was the last time they didn't have a losing record in the SEC? Anybody know? So that is a step in the right direction. When's the last time we got to four conference wins? It's been a while. Even with the great run that Rich Brooks was on, and everybody, I love Papa Brooks, love it. 
but but this is this is a step in the right direction. Four and four in the SEC. That's good. That is good. And we didn't lose games. I understand the first two weeks. Okay, that. But losing to Alabama. Okay, the Georgia game was 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 could have gone either way. I think. And Tennessee just kind of got away from us a little bit. But there, there's not any – there's not – after the Florida game, there's no games where it's just, I'm embarrassed to be a Kentucky fan. And that is a step in the right direction. I, I think people are looking for going from two wins to five wins to SEC championship. That's not the way this works. You've got to hit these marks in between. Because when you see a team go from two wins to three wins to ten, four years later the NCAA shows up <laughs> with investigators, and that's not oh, the way we built this app. Yeah, that's the oh, thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, and Baylor a little bit too. You know, there's these teams that you say that go from nowhere to top ten. It raises eyebrows. I like what Stoops is doing. Uh, we have to remember that this is his first head coaching gig. I think he has finally come into his own as a coach. He has a staff that he trusts. A big thing, I, I think next year he'll be able to bring back most of his staff. And we all know continuity, particularly in, in, uh, in football, is key. Keep your coordinators and as much as your staff together as you can. Uh, you give Coach Grand another year to come back. Now you've got Drew Barker healthy, Steven Johnson with a lot of real game experience, and, and whatever Boom decides to do. But you got Benny Snell. You're looking good for 2017. I am encouraged by what I have seen this season. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just encouraged. The offensive line is is strong. You got guys red shirting that are waiting in the wings, and as well as they ran the ball this season, it's you know building depth is hard. It's it's a lot harder in football than basketball. Uh, Drake Jackson, the in-state kid, uh, that red shirted, uh, well some others. So you kind of see them molding that into shape. Uh, John Slarman, offensive line coach, has done a great job. John Post gets bragged on by everybody at center for the job he's done. We've been hearing he's going to play on Sundays for who knows how long. Landon Young in state from there in Lexington. Uh, green, but a lot of promise at left tackle. Been going up against some elite pass rushers. Jonathan Allen, Alabama. Gary Barnett, Tennessee. Uh, so he's learning. He's, he's had some on-the-fly school sessions, but he's going to get bigger and stronger and anchor that down. So it takes a while to get all of that, every position, you know, built up. And then you got, you know, departures year in and year out. But to, you know, it's been Kentucky's problem for years. Have, you know, some good first-string guys and then it drops off, you know, in the second and third string. You know, when, you know, everybody else is stacked. Georgia, LSU, Auburn, and, you know, so you just, you're undermanned. So it takes a while, and Kentucky fans have been seeing the disappointment for years and, you know, dealing with that for years, but 
there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a reason to be hopeful, like you said, going into next year. Um, and the Tennessee game, it did get away. It got out of hand. Josh Dobbs, is, for four straight years, that was frustrating to see him just, you know, run circles around the defense once again for a little bit. You know, you can't get field goals and give up touchdowns. That's, you know, it's like trading twos for threes in basketball. That's that's not a good recipe to get a win. But when it's it's 28 to 16, and we, you don't want to call, you know, a kid out, you know, because where would they be without Benny Snell bursting onto the scene this year? Uh, but the fumble there where it could have been, you know, potentially 28 to 23, you know, you, you look around and it's 28-23, hey, we, we still hanging with them. So, so you had a turnover there. And, look, what's the, the kid has played great all year. You know, backs fumble from time to time. It happens. You know, they go down and score, make it 35-16. So then it's kind of out of hand. And uh, and not trying to make excuses, there were some injuries. You know, and Tennessee, sure, I want to hear about that with all the injuries they've had. But Jordan Jones and um, Denzel Ware – and just for that, you know, he had, he had guys getting injured who were key players. So, you know, that was just a bad mix for which formed the combination of a bad day, you know, one of many bad days that have happened down in Knoxville. We've seen that before. So, you know, ball it up and throw it away and move on. You hate to send and lose to them, but it is what it is. You know, bounce back and get win number six this weekend and then, uh, go to Louisville and just ball out and, and guns blazing up there and see what happens in the season finale. Yeah, uh, you know why? Why not? You're playing with house money. Uh, you you got to feel better going into Louisville than you did, uh, you know, after the. Uh, it was the 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 Tennessee game. It was just a weird game, but it. You know, my dad always told me there's a reason. Sayings become sayings, and you hear in football all the time. You can't trade field goals for touchdowns, and I think that's that's what happened. Is you look at the yardage, you look at everything else, but just Kentucky bogging down in the red zone is really what turned that game around. My thing is, you rush yeah. for four hundred yards, <laughs> you don't lose too many of those games. You you really don't, but. Tennessee's defense, it was bend, don't break. Again, that's another. If you're playing uh, coach speak bingo, that's another one. Uh, <laughs> they paid bend, don't break, and, and buckled down in the red zone. And uh, when we got Austin McGinnis out there more than just extra points, that's what happened. Uh, but, again, that just shows you the Kentucky rushing attack is pretty darn good. Five guys with 70-plus yards rushing. That's, that's that's good. There's you know, I hate losing obviously to Tennessee, but there are some things you can point to, and say we did this really really well. I think that there's some good things moving forward. And it's not so much about moral victories or anything else like that, um, you know. And I I, I kind of hate that moral victory kind of thing. Uh, in life. There's a lot of gray area. You don't win all the time. You don't lose all the time. But there's some things you can take and you can learn from an experience, take some good, take some bad, and move on. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not that you're happy with the loss, but you can say, you know, we did this real well. Let's work on improving 
that going forward and, and other things we didn't do, let's change that up. I don't think that's a bad thing uh, at all. I think, and I've said this for weeks, bring that rushing attack here to Louisville, bring it to uh, Papa John's Cardinal Stadium. If you can run for 200, 250 yards, play ball control a little bit, I still like our chances. With my heart, I hope we beat Louisville. But I think if you can play ball control – and, fingers crossed, if the uh, receivers can really make some explosive plays down the field, I like our chances. We have this power rushing identity, and I, and I like it. I like it a lot. And that's the thing, too. Um, nowhere near as bad as it was last year, the, the past couple weeks, uh, a couple – so, you know, drops have popped back up. Uh, Freddie Maggie was talking about it, you know, when I think people were wanting to kind of to really tear apart Stephen Johnson's numbers. And, you know, you had to factor in that in the mid-range, the middle, you know, 10, 12-yard passes to C.J. Conrad. But still he hasn't hit those. Uh, but he's throwing a good deep ball. But there were some third downs against Tennessee where he put the ball right in their hands and they put the ball on the ground and it killed some drives and it, it made you think, uh-oh, this this is what we saw a lot of last year. They cleaned a lot of that up, but it has kind of crept back in, Georgia and Tennessee, so hopefully they can uh, you know, get that rectified again Saturday and have it you know, on and popping and on all cylinders going into Louisville. Uh, a lot better than last year. You know Lamar Thomas ain't going to put up with that. So <laughs> I, was, have, I was just thinking, you know, if if we can go into uh, Papa John Stadium and those receivers can make some big plays in front of the Louisville crowd, you know, look, Coach, Lamar Thomas is good. That's what he wants. That, that That's one of these – he's got this game circled. They would do him uh, a world of good if he could watch his receivers – really put it on uh, uh, the, the cards uh, at the end of the year. So, um, and, and, and that's the thing. You know, Steven Johnson didn't get first team reps until, you know, week three, week four. Uh, yeah. So he's coming along, I think, remarkably well. And like we talked about last week, when, the, when you're running the ball like that and then you're forcing the defense to put eight in the box, your receivers have got to make plays. They're, they're going to be four or five plays that your quarterback and your receivers have to make against an eight-man front, have to. And we've just been missing. Uh, I think there's been at least two or three plays every game where C.J. Conrad is just, just past his fingertips. And you're thinking, oh, if you hit one, you, you force the defense to react to that, and that can open up other things. So uh, these next two games, I think, uh, are going to be very important to build their confidence moving forward. You get to a bowl game, you get the extra practice, you, you play whoever in the bowl game, you know, pick up that win, and then 2017 is looking a whole lot better. Uh, it's just rare that you see a coach – 
really coach himself off of the hot seat. I haven't yeah. seen very many uh, Mark Stoops buyout tweets or Facebook posts or heard about it talking to people. I haven't heard that in, in two months. Yeah. I mean, that's that, – that, that, I mean, you, if you're Kentucky football, you can't fire the guy that got you to 4-4 four and four in the SEC. No, that's, that's dumb. Yeah. You can't do that. I mean, come on. So, I yeah. – you know, this this season, uh, I said, you know, seven and five. We both said seven and five heading in. Uh, that's still potentially there. Got to win the next two, obviously. But uh, this season, I think you counted it as a success and move forward. Yeah, definitely the case. So, uh, looking forward to, to Saturday, the home finale, and then the season finale. Up there in Louisville, we'll take us another quick break, and we'll we hit some NFL, NBA. You got soapbox stuff, just whatever comes our way. And we got Ernest Shepard at seven thirty. So lots of more fun stuff ahead. This is the Cat Talk Wednesday. Benny Hardy, the KTV Brown, Brown Hardy Radio Network. Cat Talk Wednesday. BlogTalkRadio dot com. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes, y'all.
Welcome back to Cast Talk Wednesday. We're in the Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com, 845-277-9373, at Cast Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. Got to get to this Epps on Epps crime that uh, teased earlier. Jim Smith, friend of the show, uh, right for the election of her leader, had an article up about how Michaela F. and her father, Anthony, proud member of the 96 champ, are constantly going at each other as far as stats are concerned. Uh, Michaela had been struggling from the line in games and, of course, you know, taking extra shots in practice and, and you know, trying to get the stroke right from the line and then getting in games and just getting ribbing out. Uh, she's quoted saying that she's up there literally losing her mind at the line. Like, you know, what is going on? I've done this a million times. And, you know, for whatever reason, she's just, you know, having more misses than normal for her from the free throw line. And they were asking her about it, and she said something like, let's see. Oh, yeah, she, she said her dad shot 80. talking about Anthony shot 80% from the line. <laughs> so she said, I have to beat him. And... Uh, <laughs> So, and then they, of course, followed that question up with her, uh, do you know every stat from your dad's career, and are you trying to beat them? And she said she didn't know every stat of Anthony. Uh, and I'll tweet this out. I put it on my Twitter account. We'll have to do it for the show as well. And I'm going to put it on the Cat Talk Wednesday page. Uh, Michaela said she didn't know every single one of Anthony's stats, but she says, quote, but I'll be honest, I looked him up often. So, it says that he knows that Anthony had 881 points in his UK career. But he wasn't a big-time scorer. He was, you know, dishing the rocks to all the other guys on the team. But she's got him beat there. She's already got 1,000 points, more than 1,000 in her uh, UK career um, going into this year, which will, you know, add to that. Um, she's just 17 minutes away from passing Anthony in minutes. Play. He played 2,807 minutes, so right now she's at uh, 2,791 if she needs 17 to pass him. Uh, her field goal percentage is 46.1%. His is 41.1%, but he had her beat from the three-point line. He was 39.6% over his 40 career. He's 29.2%. He's got him in rebounds already, 362 to 329. And she has a triple-double that she can brag about. Uh, Anthony has her beat in steals. He's got 84 more steals than she has. And she is way down in assists. She's 243 assists behind Anthony. We already talked about, you know, Anthony dished that rock like nobody's business. And, of course, you know, the big dog card, Anthony, has the bling. Uh, so hopefully she can change that this year and they'll be able to go bling the bling if she can lead, you know, the Kentucky women to uh, a championship. But it was a cool article. It was neat how, you know, still still peeking what he's done and uh, he's beating him in some categories. knows where she's behind in some other categories and is trying to, to catch and surpass what her father did while he was in like that. Yeah, that, that, that's good. 
anytime you can get that that father daughter father son or mother son you know kind of back and forth uh the eps they've got to be up there one of the first families of kentucky basketball just and it's been great watching anthony do his thing you know he's our age uh, and, and watching michaela uh, do her thing now uh, that's got to be fantastic for the both of them yeah absolutely scrolling through twitter so i knew hey that'll definitely be just something fun to, to talk about on the show so props to Ben smith for another outstanding article uh she's always putting in work on the women's basketball and the football front um, you mentioned, I think, the new training facility earlier. I think you brought that up. And now, uh, once again, per Jim Smith, uh, it officially has Joe Kraft's name in front of it, the University of Kentucky Joe Kraft football training facility. So uh, now Joe Kraft's name is on the basketball facility uh, and on the brand-new football facility. And I think they were talking about doing some, some a few tweaks to the basketball facility coming up in a few, you know, in the not too distant future. It's just been in, a, in operation for a while, and you know, already talked about the baseball stadium coming. So it's it's always constantly something to be done, and you know, everybody kind of goes through the rotation. Um, but now Joe Kraft's name is on both big time football and basketball complexes. Yeah, the facilities there uh, under Mitch have gotten a whole lot better. And you look at the Bell Soccer Complex, you look at what Joe Kraft has done. Um, he, he's really worked to, to keep the facilities top-notch. So uh, thank you to Mr. Kraft for, for that. But, uh, again, I'm, I'm looking forward to the new baseball facility and, and, and how that's going to play out. Yeah, yeah, they were kind of – the last one in the line, you know, switch uh, for renovating Rep Arena, that has happened. A lot of improvements to Commonwealth, that has happened. Um, the soccer complex has happened. New softball facility has happened. So now um, the baseball stadium will uh, be on par with all the other baseball stadiums and be on par with all the other facilities there at UK as well. Yeah, uh, like I said, it, it's it's more, and I, I think that sometimes when we get caught up with this, let's get rid of Mitch, and folks don't care about the the non-revenue sports, people do. And if you're going to be competitive across the board, which Kentucky has been, uh, you've got to have those facilities. And, and Mitch here, particularly recently, has done a really good job of, of getting those facility upgrades. And even uh, Rupp Arena looks like a new facility just about with the upgrades in there, the ribbon scoreboard, the, the huge, huge center court uh, Jumbotron. I, don't need, I think Jumbotron is outdated. Now I think Jumbotron has been uh, – one of those things of the past, but uh, it Rupp is is is, is not er uh, now. So we all know about the uh, Commonwealth Stadium upgrade. So the facilities are top notch all across the board. 
Oh, they sure are. They sure are. Um, okay, I have one more. One more thought. Oh, yeah, I haven't been keeping up with all of the, the MLB awards that they wait until after the World Series to hand out. I do know that Ender and Ciarte, my Braves, won a gold glove. And Dave Roberts of the Dodgers was the NL Manager of the Year. Okay, Francona, uh, Indians, AL Manager of the Year. They just tweeted out the Cy Young winners, so that's why I know who they are. You know, we talked about the NBA having a year-end show after the finals last year. I think MLB should do that as well. Instead of dragging these out, you know, for days after World Series is already over, just have some big awards banquet, you know, like the NBA is about to do, like NASCAR does after their championship. And then, you know, just hand out all the hardware. But Rick Porcello of the Boston Red Sox is the AL Cy Young winner. Max Scherzer of the Washington Nationals wins it for the National League. And the funny thing is that both of these guys were former Detroit Tigers, so, you know, everybody in Detroit has to kind of be sick in their stomach to see not one of their former pitchers, but two of them bring home Cy Young in 2016. So congrats to both of them. And okay. a little bit bad for the Tigers fans. I don't feel bad for them. I'm going to tell you why. Before I joined the Orioles bandwagon, I was an Expos fan. And do you know who the Expos had on their roster at different points in time? Everybody. Randy Johnson Everybody. and Pedro yeah. Martinez. I don't want to hear it. You couldn't, you, as an Expos fan, for a stretch there, you've seen all these guys have all this success, and they were Expos. So, no, I'm sorry, Detroit fans, if you're listening. I'm sorry. I'm an Expos fan. I'm a bitter Expos fan. I hate that you have to see your guys uh, win awards. Listen, Pedro Martinez and Randy Johnson. That would have been a heck of a one-two. That, right. <laughs> I mean, that would have been a great one-two combination. But all right. So all right. That was my little outburst of the evening. No, no sympathy for you, Detroit fans. <laughs> <laughs> with, the, with the Cy Young Awards because I'm an Expos fan, so there you go. And I'm I'm not even gonna rub salt in the wound about all the offensive players, position players that came through Montreal too back in the day. I mean, yeah. it was unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, let me shift gears to something else you hate, and that would be the Dallas Cowboys, who are eight and one, and the seeming brewing, inevitable quarterback controversy that was just destined to happen when Tony Romo was healthy enough to play. You had everybody and their mom saying, you know, you can't disrupt what they're doing. What Dak is doing is hard. You can't mess up the chemistry, you know, especially at the quarterback position. You got Troy Aikman saying this. You got Brent Favre saying this. You got anybody who's anybody saying that look, this this kid needs to just keep it rolling. He's got it rolling, let him keep it rolling. You got sports talk radio in Dallas talking about trading Romo. You got Jerry Jones who's, you know, until a few weeks ago talking about, you know, Romo still coming back. That Prescott saying the right thing, saying it's Tony's team is gonna come to this 
dramatic, you know, collision course, and that didn't happen because yesterday Tony Romo had a press conference and it was it was difficult for him, understandably so, but he conceded that you know Dak Prescott has earned the right to be the starter for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I wrote my thoughts about it on CameronMillsRadio.com because, you know, Tony Romo could have been a a jerk about it. He could have bucked up and and made waves and made it real awkward going forward, but that's not the route that he took. And uh, it was pretty classy because he he definitely still wants to play. Same time, he was once in Dak Prescott's position, and he remembers everybody who helped him when he was in the process of replacing Drew Bledsoe. And now, you know, just a few short years later, the same thing is going to end up happening to him, uh, and he's not going to get in the way. Ultimately, this 8-1 record kind of supersedes everything, and it's probably the best team, like you said, that he would have been on, and it's crushing and devastating that he's not able to play on this team, but at the same time, he doesn't want to disrupt what they're doing. So, uh, congrats. I put a video in there, a tweet from the NFL Network. He's got his press conference in there. Again, Milo Tucson on CameronMissRadio.com about how classy that was of Tony Romo. Yeah, definitely uh, it was a heartfelt statement uh, that uh, that he had yesterday, and, and I think it's one of those things he didn't have to, but it's probably a good thing that he did. Uh, I mean, we've seen this, you know, from Bledsoe to Tom Brady, uh, my Niners. Uh, this was not done, you know, during the the internet age, but going from Montana to to Steve Young wasn't the slam dunk we now think it was. You know, Montana had to say some things and then go on to, to Kansas City and, and have a good run and, and, and beat the 49ers, I think, in his one, you know, one year, uh, you know, one game playing. But but this is kind of what happens, and we see it definitely with football more than our other sports where, I, you know, I don't know where the adage came, you know, you Injury, you can't lose your job due to an injury. Well, yeah, you can. I mean, uh, there's so many things going on for the Cowboys right now, and the NFL is such a – and I think this is the word that uh, uh, Romo said. It's a meritocracy. It really is. Uh, we see guys that have given blood, sweat, and, and tears to teams get shown the door, uh, and, and it makes no sense. Uh, but it happens. Uh, again, everyone knows I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I like what they're doing. What? Uh, I, I like. I mean, I like Ezekiel Elliott. I like uh, what Dak Prescott is doing. Uh, you know, my thing is, I would I would love to see the Cowboys get to the Super Bowl and take that L. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what wow. I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm putting that out there. Get to the Super Bowl, Ooh. take that L, and let us move on. Uh, it's only going to make it sweeter, you know, this good run when the Cowboys flame out of the playoffs. But, um, 
just bitter because my team just looks absolutely – they're not even bad. They're hopeless at this point. I mean, <laughs> this is how bad it is for the 49ers fans right now. I, I have turned off my ES – I've turned off the app notifications. Don't even let me know what's going on with the game because all it is is the other team scoring. I mean, I'm just – at that point, look, I'm, I'm diehard, but look, this is just depressing. When your team is terrible – and you got the ESPN score alert, let you know about score. It's upsetting when you just look, Arizona has scored again. It, it is depressing. It hurts my feelings to have to sit through that. So, no, I'm not – I had to turn the alerts off. <laughs> Let's see. I'm not even – I'm not even clamoring Super Bowl. I'm, you know – and maybe a lot of Cowboys fans are, maybe they are. I'm just enjoying the good season, you know. They might get to the playoffs and, and be one and done. You know, they look, as of now, to probably, well, they'd be the number one seed in the NFC if it started today. But, uh, you know, they might get that by and then come out and, and get beat, you know. And I'm not going to be, I mean, I'm going to hate that, but I'm not going to be crushed because it's been, a really good season. Uh, after coming off of 4-12 and 12 last year, where the quarterback position was an absolute mess, to seeing it stabilized this year by Dak Prescott, I'm just, I'm just enjoying that. And the year before last, in 2014, when they went 12-4, and four, and, you know, probably the best year that Romo's had, uh, he was healthy. And won a playoff game against Detroit, and then lost the the controversial game in Green Bay. Still, you know, a good season, a nice run. And if this it doesn't end in a Super Bowl appearance, much less Super Bowl victory, you you gotta like the young pieces that you have in place. With with you know Dak and Ezekiel looking, you know, reminding everybody. Making everybody think about Troy and Emmett. You know, Dez can stay healthy. You got your triplets right there, and and they're all young. So the future looks bright. And if it if it doesn't end in the championship this year, so be it. I hope so, but I'm not about to be, you know, just been out of shape about it. You know, that's that's my take. Nice to know the hatred that you're spewing to see where you're standing. I didn't even. Say that about the Niners being one and eight, and you know our, the, the the records of our teams mirror each other. I, I didn't even say that about that, but it's good to know where you stand. That's that's good. I'm glad you threw that out there. Uh, that's what I get for taking all them San Jose shots about. And I did say you, you, 49ers, you, San Francisco 49ers. You did. I did say that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. You took a shot. You opened that door. I was going to say, do we need to go to the tape uh, for that one? But. Uh, you know that's been a, it, it. It it looks like uh, Cowboys and uh, and Patriots are are gonna be kind of on that collision course, and and usually what we see is there's usually three or four teams bubbling up in each conference at the top, but but really there's a pretty big drop off between the Patriots and the rest of the AFC and the Cowboys and the NFC. It, it's 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 who do you trust? And there's not a lot of other teams out there that you trust. Uh, I think maybe Seattle, just because 
uh, Russell Wilson is getting uh, healthier, and but they don't. But their running back situation is is questionable at this point. So I don't know if you you, you go that way for you know uh, for the Cowboys to have a little bit of trouble. Uh, the Lions look better than they have in the past, I guess, but I'm not betting the farm on Matthew Stafford. So, uh, and the Atlanta Falcons have, they're the one team, and I know we got a guest coming on, I'll make this quick. You grew up a Hawks fan because of Dominique, and I'm not bringing up that old wound. But Dominique Wilkins on the Atlanta Hawks, much like Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. I, and I say that because both of those teams have the ability to look just look, look like world beaters. Matt Ryan will give you two games where you're just like, wow, with Julio Jones. You're like, this, this, this team's going to go 16-0. and 0. And then you look three weeks later, and you're like, this team couldn't beat the Browns. I mean, it's just in the same way with uh, Dominique and Atlanta uh, with the Hawks, you know, he would go out and give you 40 and, and 15 against, you know, the Celtics and the Sixers. But then he would, they would lay these goose eggs against these other teams. And, the, and, and it's – I call it the Atlanta syndrome. I, I just can't think of another set of teams that just look so great one time and just look – horrible. Uh, there's just a wide spectrum, and you never know when it's going to happen. You never know when you're going to get the great game or the, the, the turd of a game, if you will. That is very true. And we will now transition and, and bring our guest on. I need to take a deep breath to get the intro because it's, it's a lot of hats that this man wears. He's a friend of the show. He's from Chicago, from the Windy City. Gracious enough to join us again. He's a sports writer, a news writer, improv performer, aspiring actor, and screenwriter. All around interesting dude. You can see his work at Inquisitor.com and also OutsideAnalysis.com. Joining us, I think for the third time, is Mr. Ernest Shepard. Ernest, welcome to Cat Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown, man. Thank you so much for joining us. How's it going this evening? I'm good, fellas. How are you all tonight? Doing very good. Thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. Oh, thanks we, for the invite. Yeah, we had to, you know, kind of let things marinate a little bit. You know, it's been a couple weeks since since the Cubs won their World Series, and I just wanted to kind of uh, to bring you on just to get a little bit of a pulse of the city. And we got some Cubs fans that listen to the show. What's it been like? Since they won up in Cleveland, uh, for you personally, for the city standpoint, just just what has it what has it been like since the Cubs clinched? If you can, I think the best way to to describe it is a roller coaster, where if you could say that the Cubs have faced adversity, and that would be an understatement, because to have to deal with the teams that they had to deal with. First the Dodgers, then the Giants, and then to go down three-one versus the Indians, and have everything play out in perhaps one of the most dramatic 
baseball games anyone will ever see with the rain delay and everything. It's somewhat been surreal. And, you know, I'm from a city that's typically a Bears town, and uh, just a scene from downtown Chicago where you had at least five and a half million people traveling around downtown Chicago the day that they had the Cubs had the celebration. It's a surreal feeling, and it's it's almost as if like a big boulder has been lifted off the shoulders of the town. Did you grow up on the north side, and did you grow up a Cubs or White Sox fan? You know, I, I am conflicted because I grew up about a mile away from U.S. what is now known as Guaranteed Rate Field. I have to try to get over that. And um, <laughs> I just, I'm st- it, it's shocking. It, it doesn't sound right rolling off the tongue at all. But uh, trying to, you know, go there, because I, I grew up about a mile from there, all the games that I've gone to from a child to an adult were all White Sox games. But I grew up in a household with my uncle, and all he watched were Cubs games. So it's like that conflict where I'm rooting for the Cubs. The only time I rooted against them is when they play the White Sox, but I kind of grew up a fan of both. So to watch it and to kind of be a little bit objective about it, it it was really cool because I got a chance to appreciate it a little more. It wasn't as dire. And, And, I mean, we talked about it just last year if the Cubs got to this point, how things would go. And for me, it was calm, very calm, you know, and it's it, it was good to see. And I'm glad that they went out and did what they're supposed to do, best team wire to wire. And somehow they remembered that as each hurdle and each obstacle stepped in front of them. So, so for me, it's relief but also happy at the same time. Well, we're talking with Ernest Shepard, giving us that Chi-Town vibe, outsideanalysis.com, inquisitor.com. So you were relieved, glad to see him take care of business, even though they, they kind of had the pressure of being the best team all season, and they, they went out and walked the walk. You were relieved in 2016 as a conflicted coach fan, Flashbacks to 2005 when the White Sox won it. What was your feeling then? You know, it didn't become real to me until, I mean, the first round of the playoffs and they're playing against Boston. And I, I remember it. I'm at um at a place formerly, formerly known as Mondays, and me and one of my buddies were watching the game. And I, I want to say it's game one. And they go down against Boston, and I look at my buddy and I tell them they're going to come back and win this game. You know, I think they were down 4-1 to one or something like that. Him and I both leave, and I hurry up and get home, and I tune in to the game once I get home. And I'm looking, and um, Orlando Hernandez is still on the mound, and he's mowing down one batter after another. And that's when it hit me, perhaps that the White Sox, if this is their year. But unlike the situation with the Cubs and how all that stress and pressure with the gold and all the other curses, the Steve Bartman and everything, I think with the White Sox winning in 2005, it was a little different. Something about that team that a lot of people, I mean, even now with ESPN kind of 
not recognizing the fact that they won the World Series in 2005. Something <laughs> about their team goes, it's, it's underappreciated. And it, when you stack the I, team up, it, mm-hmm. I just I hate to interrupt yours, but I talked about this. I think this is my soapbox moment uh, uh, while the World Series is going on. Everybody just overlooks the fact that the White Sox had won not that long ago. I get mm-hmm. the Cubs love, but my thing, the White Sox had won. They had gone generations of not winning. They had their own, you know, the Black Sox scandal, and you got Field of Dreams with all the players coming out of the corn. But all people focus on are the Cubs, which is a good story, don't get me wrong. And and the the Red Sox, you know, overcoming their curse, and it's like the White Sox fans have got to be saying, well, what about us? I mean, <laughs> you know, the World Series has been played in Chicago. You know, it's, mm-hmm. the Cubs haven't been in it, but yeah, we brought a title to Chicago. I think overall, it's the romanticism of the lovable loser, and after a while, being a fan of a team that won. After a while, the, the tag lovable loser, it, it gets stale, where it's, okay, there's, there's nothing lovable about losing. You're in Chicago. It's a major market, top three market in the country. It's almost no excuse to not put together a winning team. And once the, once the Cubs brought along Theo Epstein, that's when things changed. And it's just that mindset now that they're the target. They're the team that everyone wants to emulate. They're the team that everyone wants to beat. And it's a little a little bit of irony in a sense because the White Sox have now turned into a carniture of that Cubs team and those Cubs teams from the past, just with how management and how ownership has pretty much put together their roster over the past few years. Talking with Ernest Shepard, OutsideTheAnalysis.com, uh, Inquisitor.com. And, you know, Terry's not lying. He really did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> last week, uh, we were talking about, you know, kind of recapping the Cubs winning the World Series. But that's definitely why I wanted to get you on, just to get that that perspective. Go ahead, Terry. Well, it's that, it is the one graphic by ESPN that had listed all of the other Chicago championships for the Bulls and the Bears and the Blackhawks. And it's like somebody in, in, at ESPN had to say, wait a minute, guys, the, the, the White Sox. And the thing is, it's not like the Milwaukee Brewers. And I say that mm-hmm. because we are of a certain age. The White Sox hat, once they went to the black and white, I'm thinking Snoop Dogg was wearing the White Sox hat. He rapped mm-hmm. about it. It, 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 it. The White Sox are part of the cultural fabric. And I'm like, how do you forget about them? That's what just blew my mind about the whole thing is I understand, and Ernest, not to dominate all this, but I've got a list of teams where it's like uh, if I told you they were in the Super Bowl or the championship game, you would forget about, like people forget about Colorado was in the World Series not that long ago. And you're like, yeah, well, yeah I remember that. I'm fearful that that's going to be what will happen with, the Panthers and Cam Newton, where you'll, you know, in six years, you'll be like, oh, yeah, they were in that Super Bowl. There's teams like that, but the White Sox, I thought, had enough of a national cachet to not be over, 
looked, but here we are. And, and with that, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you'd be surprised with the fact that I think the Cubs fans here outnumber the White Sox fans maybe six or seven to one. You know, where there's, there's a buzz that goes on in the Wrigley Field area. And that buzz, you can sense it from the moment you get about two miles from the stadium. As far as with the White Sox are concerned, I mean, there's a little bit of a buzz. You know, and I've gone to a couple of games this year. And it, but it's, it's just not the same. You know, it's something about the fans, something about the team where – you're hoping that they win, but you expect for them to lose. And that's really not the way that you want your how, how your team to be perceived as. So, I mean, it's a shame that they were shot by ESPN, and it's, it's almost inexcusable because considering the fact that the that same iconic White Sox had, and I call it iconic for a reason, because it's been mm-hmm. the top five in the sellers of all baseball caps ever since they've changed the logo. And that's been a Mm -hmm. consistent thing for each year. You know, and they've never been out of the top five with that hat and that logo. And as a matter of fact, same thing with the merchandise. The merchandising for the White Sox have been in the top five, top ten consistently for the last 15 years. I mean, that's what I said. Snoop rapped about it. And, you know, and then Mm – uh, that's what just blew my mind. Uh, but I'm glad that the Cubs won and made for a good story. It was one of those things we talked about. If you're going to end a curse, you know, be the best team for the whole season. Go to game seven on the road after being down 3-1. Have a rain to have all this kind of stuff because it, it's, it's like a movie. You know, when the Cubs finally won, uh, I'm not a Cubs fan, Indians fan, but you're emotionally caught up in it. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, this would, if if you wrote a movie like this, nobody, they'd be like, okay, no, this is too syrupy sweet. This is too, a rain delay, really? You know, I can remember, I can think about the, the pitch meeting. That wouldn't work, but that's how the Cubs did it. And nothing but respect uh, for the Cubs and, and for those long-suffering fans. Absolutely, and believe it or not, there's already a book that's out. That's fast. <laughs> I'm not as much. <laughs> Unbelievable. You're talking with Ernest Shepard, uh, outside of the analysis.com. Ernest, I got to skip to the NBA real quick, and uh, the Chicago perspective first, and then maybe we can break down here a little bit more. D-Wade is back home. What is that like? And then the other day, D. Rose made his return home as a member of the Knicks. What was the city's uh, thought or vibe or your opinion on on both of those events? Having D. Wade back has been – it's made the Bulls relevant. Um, Watching – I haven't missed a game, and there's a little bit of a – like a buzz that's going on in the arena, that's going on once you talk to the fans. And don't get me wrong, come summertime, there was a little bit of gloom and doom because, one, you traded away one of the team's favorite sons, arguably one of the most synonymous players to the Bulls 
in the last decade, decade and a half in Derrick Rose. So to replace him with a Dwayne Wade Hall of Famer, first ballot, no one's going to argue about that. It's You kind of wish that Rose was here, but at the same time, just watching how the New York Knicks are playing, it, it, it's almost as if the Bulls did the best business decision that they could possibly do. And it's it's exciting. Um, watching them share the basketball has been exciting. A lot of pieces on paper didn't seem to fit at first, but you're starting to see the vision a little bit. And now that they're on this, they're on the uh, soon-to-be-done-with annual road trip, the circus trip, where they have five games remaining on the road. And it's, it's going to be interesting just to see this team bond, whereas when Derrick Rose was the starting point guard and Derrick Rose was on the Bulls, you kind of got the sense watching the team that everything was a little disjointed. It, it, it's almost as if neither one of the guys really got along with each other versus the team now. It seems like everybody's rallying, everybody's – a player gets knocked down, another teammate comes up and helps them up, and everybody's high-fiving as teammates go to the bench. It's a different vibe, and that's something that's a welcoming sight after – a season, a season and a half, just ball and I don't care basketball. That is interesting. So even in just the little bitty things that you kind of disregard and take for granted, they're doing those things and it's having a positive effect. Yes. Well, it's. I think it's anytime you and you guys have done the show for, for a while, when you do show prep, everything works out. When you get along, everything works even better. You know, the chemistry is on point. Um, there are stories and hints of a lot of guys not really hanging out with each other off the court. And when you don't get a feel for who your teammate is or who your coworkers are, if you don't know their likes and dislikes, it's hard to kind of cram everything in a 48-minute game. It's hard to cram those things in a practice because you may do something or say something that may rub your teammate the wrong way. And not having that chemistry, you don't know whether or not cool to say it or when to back off. And that, to me, that's really important. And, and Ernest, I'm glad you said that because uh, my greatest memory of the 96 Kentucky team, you know, you know, arguably one of the best, college basketball teams of all time wasn't so much what they did on the court is that mm-hmm. as cheesy as it sounds, they would go bowling. Like I, it was a bowling alley there in Lexington. Uh, Vinny, you probably know what I'm talking about there on uh, Southland drive, whatever the name of that alley is, but you would go there on a Saturday night, Friday night and the team, all of them. And I'm talking from Antoine Walker all the way down would be bowling together. And it sounds cheesy, but like you said, you've got to figure out your teammate. He's more than just a shooting guard, more mm-hmm. than just a center. You've got to figure things out. How do you talk to him? If he's in the shooting slump, how do you, hey, how do you, you know, how do you approach him for different things? And it's one of those things you don't have to like your teammates, but you have to be able to get along with them. And, I, mm-hmm. and what you're saying is it's night and day from what the Bulls were doing then to what they're doing now. Well, let's just um, consider one stat. 
they're in the top five in assists this season. And that's without Rajon Rondo averaging double digits in assists. You have three guys that average at least three assists or more on that team. Where last year you had Derrick Rose, when he played, he averaged under five, which to me is it's minuscule when you're a point guard. I've always believed that the point guard sets the tempo for the offense, and he gets guys in place, and he gets his shots when they're necessary, but otherwise it's always about setting the team up. So it was him, and it was Noah when Noah was healthy, and then it was Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler didn't take over the playmaker role until after a little while, while watching Rose's reluctance to not necessarily share the basketball, but get the basketball to his teammates in the spots where a play can happen. Yeah, definitely the, <clears throat> a difference from one year to the next. We're talking with Ernest Separate outside of dot com. I want to get back to, to D Wade real quick because uh, uh, this year he is thirty five percent from behind the arc. His previous career high was like oh eight oh nine, where he's thirty one percent. I mean, has he come back home and found some kind of you know, Craig Hodges, Steve Curry, John Paxson, a mixer. What's, what's going on with you waiting for the hot here? Well, a lot of it is just confidence. Um, first game, he hits three three-pointers in a row. And you can see it in his eyes. And as he's coming down the court after he makes the third shot and he has that bounce in his step and that kind of swagger, whereas if he wanted to not only just show the Miami Heat or the NBA, but just to prove to himself that, hey, although I am up in age as a basketball player, you're never too old to learn something new and kind of get something down. And with his stroke and a couple of his three-point shots, believe it or not, have been not necessarily set shots. They've been off the triple. They've been when someone has set a screen for him. They've been – they've come when – the shot clock was winding down, and he's just looking at his teammates, and he says, look, I'm just going to take it, and we're going to see what happens. And the fact that he has the green light to shoot threes, it it creates another area for him where once teams start to respect his jump shot, he could go back to being a slasher that he always has been. Makes sense. It makes sense. And, and the great ones add little facets, you know, from year to year, little things to give opponents, uh, little extra things for them to think about. And that's, that seems to be what he's done. And, and at first, I'm like, well, you know, he, you know he, he's not going to keep this up. But, but, I mean, you know, we're 11, 12 games in now. The uh, Bulls 7 and 4, right at, you know, 35% for the line. So, yeah, he. He makes a certain effort to make that a, a permanent part of his game. Um, it, this it, one is, you know, and I'm not. My bad, TV. No, I was just saying, I'm, I'm not surprised because if you look at, like, a Jason Kidd who, you know, when he was at Cal and early in his career in Dallas, he was terrible. He was terrible at three-point shooting. But it's one of those things you can work on and become serviceable and then it opens up other parts of your game. So, 
I'm just I'm just rambling tonight, fellas. Bear with me. <laughs> That's all right. Uh-oh. I'll give you guys I'll give you another another player. That iconic player who didn't have that three point stroke either. Kobe Bryant was never a big yeah. time three point shooter. And as his game evolved, he ended up much better, a little more reliable from behind the arc. Um, another player who comes to mind is a Pau Gasol. And believe it or not, mm-hmm. when Hakeem Olajuwon, when he wanted to shoot it, he could shoot it. And it went in almost every time. So yeah. that's, that's very true. Very true. Um, you mentioned Kobe, and, and we'll keep it in that leg. And, uh, but just go to the other team in that leg with the Clippers sitting at 10-1. Are y'all buying them this year as, as finally maybe having it together to, to make the run that we think they should have been making the past few years? As long as everyone stays healthy, and that, to me I think that's what derailed them last year. I, I pegged them to, if not get to the finals, I had them going to the Western Conference finals. Um, and then the injuries happened. A lot of it's going to depend on whether or not they can get guys rest in some points. Kind of be what the San Antonio Spurs have been for the past, I want to say, seven or eight seasons. When there's room to get a guy some rest, give them some rest, keep them fresh, and at the same time try to avoid injuries at all costs. The problem, and here's my personal issue with the Clippers, they have a weak spot at small forward. And I think that at some point in time, they're going to have to add a player, not necessarily a player who can create their own shot because you have Chris Paul that's going to always create opportunities, but a small forward who can kind of handle the basketball a little bit and it's not going to be a liability on defense. And just looking around the NBA landscape, if they can get that small forward, I think not only will they be a threat in the Western Conference, because I do have them ranked number two. Eventually, Golden State's going to get their act together. But if somehow the Clippers can either develop that small forward or can acquire a small forward to kind of help them both offensively and defensively, they could be the best team in basketball. That will, and that will make Terry static. I mean, I see your Lakers at 75, Terry, but the Clippers is the best team in the NBA. That would just triple you pink. Let me just say this. The the, the Clippers are, are peaking at the right time with the Lakers having a couple of down years. My thing is if they don't take advantage and, and if, if, if Walton and, and Junior Bus and Genie Bus are able to get the Lakers back on track, the Clippers will be forgotten about again. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's my point as as bitter Lakers fan. But that that's the that's the truth. Is I, I think anywhere else the Clippers' little run that they have been on, I think would be kind of magnified. But it's hard to kind of be the talk of the town when you're playing in the arena where the Lakers have all their banners. That's 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 tough on on the Clippers to do. Uh, ordinarily, I wouldn't put any stock in the Clippers, but I like Doc Rivers and what he's been able to do. Uh, you know, he's got a proven track record. Uh, so I would anticipate them making some noise because I love point guards. I think Chris Paul 
I know Steph Curry's getting the, the, the pub, but I, I'm a Chris Paul kind of point guard guy. Uh, I like their chances. And we have seen, uh, I think, the Warriors, I think, will get their act together. But inside, that's, that's going to be their big question mark is can they rebound? Can they do some things on the interior? Uh, and I think that's where the uh, Clippers will be able to attack them, you know, should they meet up in the Western Conference Finals. Well, I think a lot of it, too, is going to depend on the Clippers' ability to – and probably the best defensive team in basketball. Blake Griffin at power forward with Chris Paul at point guard, arguably the best defensive point guard in the NBA, and with DeAndre Jordan. That's never going to be the issue. The issue to me is, is just being able to match firepower. Like I, I definitely see them bullying the Warriors. Can they match firepower with the Warriors? And to me, the Warriors' biggest weaknesses are teams that have a stretch four, just like Cleveland, and teams with a dynamic backcourt. And I think the Clippers have part of that. They have parts of that. But if they can somehow just continue to just play their game, play their game, and make some of the adjustments that they can make, they're in a better position to make additions to their team than the Warriors are. The Warriors can make a trade and unfortunately give up a vital call to their team. I mean, look at how just not having Festus Azili or Andrew Bogut in that lineup has hurt them inside and I just don't think that they can replace that. I'm talking with Ernest Shepard. Just remember everything that goes beyond April. Immediately on the podcast, blogtalkradio.com slash cast talk. We talk NBA. We talk um, MLB. Just to shift to the Bears real quick, was, was everybody surprised to hear Alshon Jeffrey news, or was it just more – drama for a team that's got a lot of issues, how did that, you know, hit the city? You know, personally, I for one was shocked. I mean, he's remark- he stayed remarkably healthy this season, and no one knows, and he hasn't he hasn't disclosed what kind of supplements he's taken that um, had him fail the test. But it's – if anyone is happy, it's probably Jay Cutler because Jeffrey's suspension has kind of taken the light out of his board turnover day. But it's it's one of those necessary evils. It's kind of like that distraction that the team needed for everyone to forget about how bad the team has played. And now while people are talking about, and even the team has, talked, has discussed whether or not they should make some sweeping changes in the offseason, they have to focus on a problem. And it was a problem that we don't know how it was created. But by taking guys off the roster and not addressing several needs, now those things have become exposed. And the question here is, is Alshon Jeffrey in the long-term plans? And if he's not, then the Bears not only have to answer or address an issue at quarterback, but they have to address an issue at wide receiver as well. And that's a lot of stuff to have to fix in the upcoming offseason. Are the Bears just going to be a team that just kind of slackens through a coach every once in a while in hopes that 
they they get it right. Is that what the Bears are? And it's a proud, historic, historically significant franchise. But is is that where they are, or has it got to be something beyond coaching, or, or can a coach come in and get it fixed at some point? Well, I mean, it, it, here's a shocking statistic. It's been 31 years since the Super Bowl. The Bears have been to the playoffs five times since winning the Super Bowl in, two, in uh, 85, or 86 technically. And that's a shocking stat in itself. So it's it's now it's, it's not even a question of whether or not they're becoming that franchise. It's a matter of them recognizing that they're that franchise and trying to make changes in order to reverse the course. Kind of what the what the Cubs have done, kind of what the Blackhawks have done. You know, there are even suggestions that they bring in outsiders, non-football people to come in and help them with the business aspect and let the coaches deal with the coaching aspect. But is it the right coaching staff? And what is the identity of the franchise? Those are the biggest questions. I don't think that they know for sure. They're not accepting the terms that they're in rebuilding mode. And it's so. And so they just, the cycle just continues until, like you said, the realization takes place, right? Mm-hmm. The realization and, and by don't the right and 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 I hate to interrupt again, but you know Rex Grossman getting the team to the Super Bowl. That's on my list of things that at this stage yet <laughs> did that really happen? Did Rex Grossman start a Super Bowl? Really? I, I mean, <laughs> no, believe it or not, believe it or not, I always felt like Rex Grossman was a really good quarterback. Playing behind that offensive line. And having to suffer the injuries that he suffered the first couple of years in his career, it ruined him, I think. I think it made him gunshot, you know, whereas I'm going to get hit and I'm going to suffer injuries. So do I chuck this football or do I just hold it and just take the sack? And I think that has played in his head, played in his head throughout his entire career. And it's good that you bring that up because when you look at young quarterbacks that kind of get thrown to the wolves and beat up, I think it really stunts their their development because mm-hmm. they start to hear those footsteps. And I'm thinking, you know, like you said, Grossman, uh, David Carr, I think mm-hmm. uh, even Kentucky's Tim Couch and Cleveland. You know, there's a difference between thrown to the wolves and thrown to like hungry, starving wolves behind a porous <laughs> offensive line. And uh, I think you really do your your young guys a disservice by putting them back there and letting them take that physical and mental abuse. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting that you bring that up because it's in L.A. with the Rams, everyone's clamoring for Jared Goff to actually start a football game. And what no one's realizing is the fact that Jeff Fisher's saying he's not ready yet. And it, there's nothing wrong with allowing a quarterback to get that apprenticeship. It definitely didn't hurt Aaron Rodgers. You know, yeah. and when you have that to show for, and to some aspects, Tom Brady, who didn't play until Drew, Drew Bledsoe got hurt. So there are examples of waiting out the process. Not every team's like the Seattle Seahawks, a team that already 
had a ready-made situation, or this year with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, you have a rookie quarterback that I won't say he's necessarily tearing it up, but you have arguably the best running back to be drafted in the last 25 years behind the best offensive line in football. With a decent defense, that's a recipe for victories. That's a recipe for playoff appearances. And for the Cowboys, all they can hope for are playoff appearances at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I have a a confession I have to make. I don't know if you guys play fantasy football. I I play fantasy football, and uh, my second favorite team are the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm watching the game on Sunday. Um, I have Ezekiel Elliott in almost every one of my fantasy leagues. And I'm I'm forced to have to root against the team that I root for. And I, I jumped for joy, and I got excited when Elliott ran for that final touchdown. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, wait. I, I kind of wanted the Steelers to win this game and make some hay in their division, but at least I won this week. <laughs> You know, that's that, that old um, quandary, you know, fantasy team against your personal team that you root for. It, it'll get you sometimes from week to week. Put you in a bind. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, and unfortunately for Pittsburgh, the division hasn't ran away from them. Cincinnati is down there spinning their wheels. And Baltimore, you know, after their hot start, have, have come back down to earth uh, as well. And, and Pittsburgh will be pulling for Dallas to do to Baltimore what Dallas did to them last week. So Pittsburgh still is in the mix in that division because nobody's really taking advantage of everybody else's mistakes. I don't think anybody wants it. <laughs> I mean, you have to deal with one of those AFC West teams in the first round. It's either it, pick your poison. Is it going to be Denver that you play against, or is it going to be Kansas City that you play against, or would it be Oakland? Either one of those teams are going to be scary, and how things are shaping up, both all three of those AFC West teams are going to make the playoffs. So, I, it's not a proposition that I think any team would have, and how the standings are looking the AFC North team is going to be hosting one of those teams, and it could possibly be the Chiefs, and that's not a matchup anybody would want. Yeah, and the Chiefs are flying under the radar and loving it, you know, just quietly doing their thing, nobody's talking about them, and they're just, you know, sniping teams, you know, week after week. Um, so, man, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a lot of fun. NBA is going to be a lot of fun. And that's why we enjoyed having you on. I mean, you got your eye on everything, kind of like we try to do. And it's so much fun uh, talking about all these things with you. I know you're also, real quick, before uh, we close out the segment, you're a firing uh, comedian. You're doing some comedy stuff. Um, we had Roy Wood Jr. on the show a couple of times. And, of course, he's on the Daily Show now, a big Cubs fan. Did you see him rocking the victory robe? up there in Cleveland for Game 7, you know, full-on Cubs pinstripe victory robe in the stands. You know, I actually did catch that. 
And it was one of those things where they tried to hurry up and go past it, but they couldn't because he's he's a he's a person. And it, it was it was good to see, honestly. Yeah, yeah, and he's everywhere, and and that, you know, he had that on all his social media, his Instagram, Snapchat, you know, and and Twitter, and then uh, I think two different articles had it, you know, so uh, it caught a lot of eyes. It was hilarious, but uh, you know, his Cub fandom is real, and, and that's real as it gets when you rock that in Game Seven in Cleveland. That's a dangerous proposition to ask for. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Ernest, we appreciated you hopping on, taking time out of your evening to uh, drop Chicago knowledge uh, on all fronts, and we enjoyed talking NBA with you, and we look forward to seeing how the season progresses. But, man, just keep doing what you're doing, and uh, much respect, and we really appreciate you taking the time to hop on, and we always enjoy it. I appreciate you guys, and you guys keep doing your thing, too. You know, I've been following. I've been paying attention, and it, it's great stuff, and it's great to see you all still at it, still doing your thing, and building something pretty big. So I'm I'm, I'm going to be watching you all's progression as well. Well, we certainly appreciate it. And you tell folks in Chicago there's a random person in Kentucky that is just Upset about how the White Sox got overlooked this uh, baseball postseason. <laughs> I would do that. I would do that. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks right, so thanks, much. Thanks, you guys. All right. All right. Ernest Shepard, com, bringing that Chicago vibe just like we knew he would. Uh, always cool having Ernest on, man. Always enjoy that. Yeah, so we will about have this one wrapped up. TBU will be at Commonwealth Stadium Saturday for UK Austin T. So uh, enjoy that, and I'll be looking forward to, to all that as well. Big, big time. Uh, we can't let this just slide under the radar. You know, we've been able to cover games before for, for different blogs, for Cameron, for uh, Cameron's site, for uh, Wildcat Blue Nation, for Nation of Blue. But this is going to be the first event that Cats Talk gets credentialed for. So I'm excited that, uh, as you like to say, our little show, we've been able to get credentialed for the game. So uh, there are going to be a lot of stuff on Facebook, on Twitter. I'm going to set up YouTube for post-game videos, videos of different things around the stadium uh, for this senior day. So folks uh, will be uh, be checking Facebook and Twitter uh, for that information. So I'm very, very excited to go. Uh, it's going to be cold, I think, but the press box is temperature controlled, so I'm excited about that. That's always a good, <laughs> a good, good, good way to go. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm excited about that. It's going to be a good weekend. Uh, you know, uh, so I'm, I'm excited about the football game and, and cats talk. We're we're kind of doing our thing here. Uh, so it's a, a a step in the right direction. Absolutely. But I'm I'm excited that you're going to be there. Mm. Appreciate everything you brought to the show and 
all the promoting and all the stuff we're trying to keep on doing. And this one has already started. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of excitement, and uh, it's going to be a fun weekend, like you said. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, a big win, hopefully. You know, Kentucky scored 62 against New Mexico State early on. Uh, hopefully they put up some big numbers against uh, Austin P and seal the deal and wrap up win number six and become both eligible for the first time since 2010. It, it should be a good time in the bluegrass. The sun will shine bright. We'll have some, some football success to – uh, to go along with what we anticipate will be a good year uh, on the hardwood for the men and the women. Uh, also, real quick, Coach Mitchell signed a big, big-time recruiting class, so it looks as if the the football, the bas- the women's basketball program is going to be uh, back on track. So that's good news to, for him to get a good class for next year and kind of keep this moving. Absolutely. Uh, that will, you know, kind of calm down all the haters. And you know there was negative recruiting going on out there. So um, that will kind of put a lot of that stuff to bed and keep him on the good role that he's been on since he's been at UK. Definitely. Man, it's another fun one in the books tonight, TV. Uh, appreciate you hopping on and jumping on the show this evening as you do every week. Uh, be some NBA on tonight. I think I'll uh, peruse and channel surf and hit some of that. Uh, looking forward to the piece that you teased that you got coming on cameramillsradio.com, as well as your work on nationofblue.com. Uh, so everybody check out what we write and keep tuning into the show. And we'll keep on having fun and hope you all keep enjoying listening. So we'll close it out. Have fun this weekend at Commonwealth. And for my man TV, this is Vinny Hardy. Been another episode of Cat Talk Wednesday on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll see y'all this time next Wednesday, 166 hours from now. Have a good night. Have a good evening. Have a good rest of the week, y'all. Thanks for listening.